That's right, the Noonies are back, and I would love to thank our sponsor for this episode, Avast, who is a global leader in digital security and privacy, as you very well know, because they have over 435 million users, and the AVG brands are those that protect the people from threats on the internet and the ever-evolving IoT landscape. So thanks to Avast for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Tom, and as always, I cannot wait to chat with you about what we've got going on today. We are recording a Noonies episode with Lomit Patel, who is the Senior Vice President of Growth at Together Labs and a best-selling author, which we will get into in a minute here. But first, I want to let you know that Lomit is nominated for two Noonies Awards. The first is a Hacker Noon Contributor of the Year Award in the Lean Startup category. And the second is another Contributor of the Year Award in the Motivation category. So before we jump into it, I will let you know that I'm putting those links in the show notes and you can vote for Lomit for his Noonies nominations. But anyways. Afternoon podcast. Hi, Lomit. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Amy. How you doing? I'm excited to I be here. I am doing great. You know what? This is my first podcast recording where I am sitting down on a couch and it has changed my life. I feel like a real host now, like I'm about to host like a real proper like Good Morning America kind of thing. I don't think I will ever host a podcast sitting on a regular chair anymore. This is great. <laughs> it's amazing the sort of things we come to learn. For me, I would say generally when I do podcasts, I like to go to like different places in, in the house. And it sounds like you're doing it from um, an exciting city that I'm pretty familiar with as well. <laughs> Yes, yes. Today I am podcasting from London, which as a personal milestone, this means that I have podcasted in over four countries now, which I'm very excited about. But anyways, it's not about me. Not everything is about me. I want to talk about you today. So tell me first, before we get into your book, about what you do at Together Labs. Yeah, so at Together Labs, I pretty much responsible for all of our growth. So that encompasses everything from user acquisition to retention to monetization across all of our different properties. And our most uh, popular social network gaming app is called MVU, IMVU, and we have millions of users. But I've been at the company for um, just over five years now, and it's been a great ride so far. Five years is a long time, a very long time. What were you doing before that? So previously, I've worked at a number of different startups. So my role has always been around the area of growth. And generally, I work with startups pretty early, usually when they have a product or service out. And my role coming in is really to help identify once you have the product and service, how are we going to acquire customers, how are we going to generate revenue, and ultimately how every startup talks about that hockey stick growth of getting to millions of users. And, and my role is generally to help chart out the path on, 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 on how to make that happen. So it's a fun time. Okay. Usually coming in when you join companies early is that there's a lot of like green space ahead, right? So you can get super creative, you can try a lot of things, and there's always the, there's a lot of upside because ultimately nothing's been tried before. So you can, you mm -hmm. can generally sort of, if you keep, 
you know, trying and, and experimenting with enough things, some of those things are going to start sticking and, and could end up becoming that flywheel for growth. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions for you then. Number one is what do you consider early in a startup phase when you're joining? And uh, number two is why startups? Good question. My definition of early is generally a startup that usually is raised a series A or, or is in the process of, of raising a series B. And, and generally companies do that once they've um, reached product market fit, which a simple way to define that is you've figured out a product that actually solves um, a real problem and, and there's going to be some demand. And, and so then the idea is to validate that and, and start driving demand for it. And in terms of why a startup, I've always been fascinated working with startups from a, from a young age. I used to look up to all these tech companies and was just curious, how do these companies come from nowhere and they end up disrupting the way users behave and act? And for the most part, I always look at startups as, as being an underdog, which is the way I've always been perceived myself in life. And I, yeah, I have that empathetic way of looking at the companies the way most people have kind of looked at me. And the great thing about being an underdog is most people just underestimate you, right? And so working in a startup, what I found personally is that you get a lot of opportunities because all startups are pretty much under the gun when it comes to proving that their pro that their business is viable. And it requires looking to scale up growth and, and try to um, ensure that the business is going to survive and not run out of money. And then joining these companies early, you generally get to work with a lot of smart people. It's The teams are smaller, so you get a lot of uh, visibility to work with founders and investors. But beyond that, you get the ability to really go and try a lot of things that then there's a lot of there's a huge appetite for taking risk and, and trying things and, and and there's low appetite for playing politics which kind of works well for me right so so you get yes. to try a lot learn a lot and in the process you get to get to know people who end up becoming a really big part of your network as you continue to grow and evolve in your career Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. A lot of what you just said just resonated with me too, because Hacker Noon is the first startup that I've really worked for. And it's my favorite part is the visibility of like, I would do, I remember when I first joined, I would do one thing and it was like something that I would just was like a very regular part of the job, never considered it in previous roles, whatever. And then people would be like, Oh, slow clap for you. You've done it great work and it's like oh oh i'm really valued here like the things that i do really matter so I, yeah is that kind of reminiscent of what you're saying too yeah another word for that that i use is the feedback loop is so much quicker right mm -hmm. so ultimately whatever you do especially in the startup if you're doing something good or if you're not doing something good you're going to get to know about it pretty quickly and for the most part if, if you work in the right startup in in hackanoon obviously has a great culture. The idea there is not just about what you can do for Hackanoon, but how Hackanoon can set you up to learn and grow mm -hmm. in the process. So you're codependent on, on each other where, where you both are going on this journey together, where, where you're growing personally and the business is growing and benefiting from your growth as well. Yeah, definitely. So take me through more of your startup journey, especially at the beginning. Was there a period of time where you worked for bigger corp and then you like transition to realize that the startup life was better so i what i will say is i, I come from a family of small uh, business entrepreneurs my family owned uh, owned some small retail 
stores. So I started working and I was pretty familiar with kind of what goes into being an entrepreneur from, from that perspective. But in terms of my startup journey, I was always fascinated to um, with that bent on technology. And, and what I found in terms of the companies that I ended up getting into, and the truth was, I didn't really know anyone in, in, that worked in startups or whatever. So I, I was in London at the time and I was seeing all these technology companies coming up. And my dream was to really come to the US. And, and the idea was put myself in an environment where a lot of these things were really happening in, in, in the 90s. And so I came over for business school. And, and after business school, I just applied to as many different startups as I could. And, and, and I think it's the same for most people, right? If you really want to get into something, you have to put yourself in the environment where, where those um, things are happening. And so for startups, mm-hmm. mostly that's in Silicon Valley. And that's not necessarily true today, but at that time, that's generally where, where all the startups are really coming up. And I, what I would say is that, that I ended up I was fortunate to get into a number of different startups pretty early. Generally, what happens is once you get into one and, 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 and you end up doing a really good job, then it gets a lot easier to get recruited and, and get into another one. So some of the ones that I've worked at, for the most part, were companies like like Roku's one that most people probably are familiar with, and it's become a huge company. But I joined them as employee number like 30, but I was like the first sort of um, head of growth and marketing there. And, and, and that was really fun because at the time, we were trying to create a whole new category around streaming that nobody really knew about. And the, the fun part of that was just getting to work really closely with a lot of smart people and, and in the process, just learning and growing personally myself by, by, by helping to really play a role in, in, in helping that company get off to a really strong foundation and get to millions of users initially before I moved. And, and then I ended up joining another company after that called Next Issue Media, which was a which was a collaboration between all the big publishing companies at the time, saw the future being more in digital and, and, and nobody was really going to subscribe to individual magazines. So they wanted to collaborate and create a subscription um, offering in mobile where people could get unlimited access to all the premium magazines. And long story short, that, that ended up getting acquired by Apple and became part of Apple News Premium, which most people know about today. And then after that, there's been a number of different startups. But w- what I would generally say, the, the big pattern has been I generally try to identify different verticals that really interest me personally, because you know if I have an affinity for it, then I'm more likely to be passionate and excited to work on it. And I wasn't a huge gamer, but I joined IMVU just over five years ago. But it was an area that I was really interested because because I know there's a lot of people that were spending a lot of time on on gaming. And and in the course of le- learning that vertical, I joined this startup. This was probably more of the late the later stage startup where there was close to about ninety employees when I joined. Now we're mm-hmm probably closer to over 300. But what we did over that last five years was to really take a product that was more heavily focused on desktop and web and and really turned it into a mobile first business. And a big part mm-hmm. of that, that driving that whole growth strategy kind of fell in, into my team's focus. And, and that was fun to really sort of see the company transition into mobile and really turn mobile into a huge growth channel. And now I can proudly say that we're generally in the top three of the most um, highest grossing social apps in the app stores. So Mm -hmm. it's been a huge, huge achievement doing that. But but generally what I will say in startups is it's always good to continue to, to evolve uh, yourself and whatever job you're doing, 
always be flexible about what's next, what's new, to try to sort of think ahead of where user behavior is going. And when it comes to driving growth, it's all around identifying what are channels where people are spending time. And uh, a, a good example of that is social media. I was really heavy into social media before a lot of people started even spending money on things like um, Facebook and Instagram. And when I joined Together Labs at IMVU, we were one of the first early beta testers to get into growing advertising with Snapchat and TikTok, which today are huge, but at that time they weren't and really gave us a huge competitive advantage to really get um, access to all these millions of users that were using that, that platform to get them to convert into becoming customers for IMVU as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've alluded to a lot of this already, but what is involved in growth? Like when you are a leader of growth at a startup, where do you start? What's involved? What's going on in your mind? Tell me more about that. Really good question. With growth, ultimately, it's all about really understanding how you define success. And so generally, at least most startups that I've worked for, success has been defined as acquiring customers, uh, driving revenue, and potentially what's the cost to acquire a customer and 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 what's the return on investment on, on, on the money being invested. So once you know what your success is and and uh, then it's then it's all around understanding who's the best customers that, that are potentially going to be using the product and, and then figuring out what's the 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 best way to get in front of those customers ultimately and what's the right places to either be spending um advertising money or, or, or making um, tweaks within the product or around the onboarding flow and the customer around all the different points of the customer journey to really be able to optimize the entire customer funnel to mm. acquire customers, retain customers and to monetize customers. And what I would say is outside of knowing how to define success, a, a big part for me that, that has really helped me in my role is just being curious. Being curious from a young age, but but it works well, especially in this role. Because in growth, you always got to keep asking. You got to keep putting yourself in the shoes of the users and the customers, and and try to look at things from their point of view. Ultimately, it's not about um, how the product benefits you, but it's about how it's going to benefit others, and and how can you solve that problem, and how can you reinforce that value to them so that right. um, ultimately if users find value in, in what you're offering then they're more likely to stay but beyond that they're more likely to tell their, their friend about it as well so you end up getting that viral growth that, that goes with it all right well. yeah okay so you're at the end of the day what you're saying though is that as someone who is in growth you have to put your hands in all of the pots like you have touch with the product team you have touch with the marketing team you have touch with the sales team to help you to increase those metrics then, right? Yeah. So that's actually the fun part for me in the job is that you get to work cross-functionally with so many different other teams. It's not really about one individual team or one individual person. It's really about stepping up and becoming that cross-functional leader because ultimately you're the cheerleader and the motivator for many teams because everything that that you work on or, or your impact really impacts how other teams prioritize what projects uh, that, that they end up working on as well. It's it's a great way to get visibility if you like that in the company. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
it, as you work in growth, what are you doing day to day? Is it a lot of researching on what to do next? Is it a lot of just like liaison between teams? It's a combination of, of all of those things, but primarily it all starts with looking at the data and, and the metrics mm-hmm. every day, like like how we're tracking to, to the goals that we need to hit. And then from there, different folks on the team that, that are responsible for the different areas of that entire funnel to really understand what's working, what experiments are we running, what are we learning? Because ultimately it's all around increasing the velocity of learning. At least that's the word that I use internally. Because I don't expect us to know the answers, but to at least follow the process and, and to try and figure out what those potential answers are to not only what's working today, but also to keep an eye on, on the future. So always trying to think like 12 to 18 months ahead in terms of what could be the next new thing that we want to start experimenting with today based on where user behavior and trends are going. And that yeah, encompasses okay. really just talking with a lot of people internally but also talking with people outside of the company too, talking with customers, um, talking with other folks in the industry to see what they're doing, what's working and being active, I would say, in the industry at different events and and and, and speaking at those events. It's a great way to, to learn and share on knowledge that you can bring back in it to your company as well and, and continue to keep just putting ideas out there and keep trying stuff. Yeah. How do you, in your mind, simultaneously look at individual points of data while still keeping connected to like the overall picture of things that you're doing? Because that sounds like a lot of like high level and granular detail. <laughs> yeah, it's all about trying to connect the dots. And I think just like anything, when you do something many times, you start to build more experience. And I know a lot of people don't talk about this, but there's some intuitive nature to it as well, where your intuition starts to get better at identifying, because ultimately it's about look looking at that huge priority of lists and figuring out what are we going to focus on today, this week? this month and this year and and prioritizing ruthlessly is really important. But the best way to do that is never to put the entire pressure on yourself, but make it collaborative, especially internally. What I find is when other people feel that they're part of the process of what gets prioritized, they get more excited to work on those things versus being a top-down command. Hey, I woke up today and I think we need to go and do this. <laughs> so let's right, just do yeah. that. <laughs> yes. And that I think also comes from like the startup vibes of things, right? Like you, that's not really a thing in big corp. It's more of the top down approach and then startup culture. It's really involving everybody in the process. Yeah. And Amy, just to close a loop on that question you asked early. So I haven't really worked in a huge big company personally. Mm. The biggest company that I worked early on when I started, to me, it seemed like a big company. And I think we had four or 500 employees. But what I found was generally, having been in companies that have grown to become big, but generally as things get bigger, you tend to find that your role tends to, at least the responsibilities and the impact tends to get smaller and more specialized. Mm. And for someone that wants to have less bureaucracy and have more more of an outlet to be more creative and and learn and try more things then generally at least in my experience the smaller the company the more you get those types of opportunities yeah i think so too yes definitely 
Okay, so tell let's get into a little bit more about your book. Tell me more about your book. It's called Lean AI. When did you write it? Tell me everything. I must know. <laughs> yeah, so my book Lean AI, it, it it's part of the Eric Ries the Lean Startup series and and most people that at least in business and, and startup are really familiar with with the lean startup because it's been one of the best selling books ever. And, and the author is Eric Reese. The way I, the backstory on how I wrote the book, what most people don't realize is the company that I work for right now, Together Labs, but IMVU specifically, that's where Eric worked when he actually came up with the whole idea around ah. the, the, the lean startup. Cause, cause it was a methodology around, um, test, learn, and iterate. And, and, and instead of trying to put the best product out there and taking so long, try and put the minimum viable version of that product or service and just sort of use real-time customer data to iterate and, and try to get it to, to become the perfected product. But the idea is that there's never per anything that's perfect and everything needs to iterate and pivot as needed. And so he, he applied a lot of that methodology at, at IMVU. And so I was always fascinated with that book and that was one, one, one of the things that I've enjoyed working here because it's still the methodology that we apply but what I came to realize when we were trying to make that huge shift into mobile you have to just move a lot faster and quicker and there's just so much more data now that you get that mm -hmm. you have than, than 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 ever before and what I, what I was doing prior to writing the book I was able to um, champion the whole area around artificial intelligence and really applying how to use AI to really help us to get better, faster, and smarter using data to really grow the business around the user acquisition and retention and monetization. And so what I noticed is, you know, that there's only, at, at least at the time, this was like five years ago, five, four or five years ago, only a handful of companies are really doing this. And these are the sort of companies that most people know about, like the Amazons and Netflix and the Ubers and Lyfts. But it's something that most people just weren't really doing. And it's kind of pretty hard to do. And, and so what we ended up doing was to stitch together a couple of different like platforms that kind of existed in, in, and made it work. And, and then I started telling that story at conferences. I, got, I started getting invited to speak. And the more I started speaking about it, and, and I used to write a blog post and um the more positive feedback I started getting in and, 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 and it was, and, and, and the more that, that feedback that I ended up getting, the more I came to realize is that this is something at least for a lot of companies is pretty early and, and something that a lot of startups aren't doing. And going back to my, my philosophy around why I work at startups is because they're underdogs. And, and I felt this is the kind of knowledge that should be openly available. So more and more founders mm -hmm. that start coming out there can at least be able to apply this to help them validate the ideas that they have for their business, as well as be able to at least get more smarter around using the data for growth. And yeah. so- that, that was the sort of the background. So I was writing a lot around this, speaking a, a lot about this and, and the feedback was positive. And then I got to speak with Eric, obviously being, being a founder and, and, and he knew a lot about the, the, the success that we're having at the company. And I joked with him that maybe this could be a good, as part of his, the Lean Startup series, because they've come up with a number of different books. And he said, yeah, uh, I was surprised. He said, yeah. And he said, maybe you should write it. That's when the seed got planted. And he said, you should come up with a book proposal. And I had no idea what a book 
proposal is. So I Googled that. I, I kind of acted, like, yeah, yeah, I will. And, and I sort of Googled it that night. But basically a book proposal is like, is like a business idea where you outline the big idea about what the book's about, what are the different chapters that could potentially go into the book and, and, and map out the flow in terms of what the book is and what the different parts would be in the book, as well as do some competitive research. Is this something that's that's unique or how is this going to be different from what whatever else is out there? And yeah. fortunately, I, I wrote the book proposal, but Eric connected me with, with O'Reilly Media, which is a huge publisher. And I spoke to them about the idea. And I had an editor that, that was assigned to help me at least put the book proposal together and, and to pitch it. And, and they generally don't pick up a lot of books every year. And, and I think this was in 2018 when the whole idea came to me, or 2019. And I was surprised, but they ended up picking up the idea and it got approved as being part of the, the Lean Startup series. Once they approved it, it was a matter of, hey, here's a contract. Do you want to do it or not? And so oh. at that stage, I was like, do I jump in or do I sit on the fence thinking about it? And I and by then I thought, you know what? I'm going to just jump in and, and, and try and, and, and write the book. And, and I've never written a book, but what I will say is that writing, I've, I've enjoyed writing and writing a lot of like content on blogs has really helped me to at least warm me up. And so mm -hmm. what I ended up doing when it came to writing the book, once I had the book uh, proposal in place, it, it was a lot easier to organize my thoughts around where, where do I want to focus in terms of chapter one or chapter two. And what I came to realize is when it comes to writing a book, it's best to write on things that, that you feel inspired about at that given moment. So uh, an example being, I tried to start writing about chapter one and I sort of did chapter one, chapter two, but then chapter three didn't really interest me at the time. And, and so I jumped out to and started writing like chapter six and then started writing about chapter eight. And then I, so, okay. so it wasn't following the, the traditional route of going in, in, in a linear fashion. So I started right, writing right. about different things. And, and I, for me, writing a book was a lot easier because I was actually practicing what I was preaching. So it wasn't like I had to really go out and do a lot of um, additional research. Research was more around validating what I was writing. And then I was actually putting the content out there on the blog and I was getting more real-time feedback. So that was able mm. to help me refine the content for the book by just putting right. things out there. And working with a publisher was really helpful because then you have a timeline and when you need to deliver the book and you ideally uh, get like a year. But I ended up writing the book because I was just so fired up to get it done as quickly as possible. I wrote the first draft within six months, five to six wow. months. But the way I ended up doing that was uh, I ended up creating my own personal schedule. So I was writing like six days a week and my writing uh, schedule was to pretty much write at night. That's when I like writing the most, I'm not really a morning person. So I was generally writing between 10 p.m. and, and 3 a.m. And and, and 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 so my sleep took a hit during that yeah, time. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, wait, you stop say, at 3 in the morning, yeah, where is the yeah. sleep? <laughs> I know, I know. It, it's like anything in life. It, you pretty much, we all have 24 hours. And the question is, if you really want to achieve certain goals, then the question is, what's the trade-offs and, and where, where those are going to happen? And so for me, the trade-off had to come out of my sleep. So I was, I was sleeping yeah. a lot less, which is tiring, I will say. Having said that, what kept me going was what, what was the idea that 
I could actually be, I'm actually writing a book that can really help so many people. And that's, that was ultimately the goal for writing the book, which was to put mm-hmm. a, a, a thesis out there that other startups and founders can use to really help them in their journey to, to grow their business. Yes. Okay. I have some questions about your writing style and how yeah. you structure your day. But first, let me just get into this for another second here, the scheduling of your life. Do you have fun time scheduled or are you just a, a working machine? <laughs> really good question. I Early on in my career, I was just a working machine. Now, what, what I try to do is, is work a lot smarter. Okay. Uh, so the idea isn't about, I do work hard, but what I do is I intentionally put blocks in my calendar to, to prompt me to actually take mental breaks because I, I don't want to get burnt out on, mm-hmm. on things that I work. And, and generally for me, what I try to do in terms of rewarding myself, you know, I like working out. I try to break out part of my day where I can either, either go to work out for a while, I was really in, into the yoga scene. So I was doing yoga. That was really helping me. And then beyond that, I like self-care in terms of self-care things outside of working out, eating, cooking. I also like getting massages and stuff too. So I okay. always try to get some spa treatment in there as well. So I try to reward myself for working hard because ultimately what I feel is for me to show up as my best, I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself first. Yes, because that overworking yeah. like culture yeah. is like a yeah. recipe of for disaster yeah. of burning out and like not being able to do anything. So yeah, I guess taking that time to quiet your mind with the yoga, with the working out, yeah. with the massages to just not think about things, important, yeah. Very important. And one thing generally, at least in, in startups, that there's this whole thing around the um, the hustle culture of mm-hmm. just burning, working hard, long hours and stuff. And, and I've been through that. But what I've come to realize is ultimately there has to be a balance. And especially as, as I've moved up and become more visible as a leader, you have to set that example or else people sort of feel that they that they just need to be just burning themselves to the ground working and and what happens is is no one wins at the end of the day if if your people aren't happy yes i think for me prior to global pandemic time i definitely more so subscribed to the hustle culture of like always go doing all of the things working 24 7 and then over the pandemic as my mental health has (laughs) come up and down as everyone else's has it's more of this, oh yeah, if you want me to do anything that I have to do less things, less work sometimes so that I can be my best self to continue working because this mental health is such an important piece of culture of work that we always forget to incorporate into our lives, I think. Yeah, uh, the I would say the two powerful words that people can use is the word yes and no. And early on, in my career and what I find with most people is everybody wants to say yes to everything. Cause you're hitting me in the heart. I am a yes girl. A hundred percent. I was like that too. I'm a recovering yes addict, but yeah. for the most part, it was at least for me, it was just getting validation from what other people would think and, and about me. And, and, and what I've come as I've gotten older and, and a little bit wiser is that I've started to use the word no a lot more than I used yes. Because ultimately, it's not about the, the, the quantity, but it's about the quality of what you can provide. Mm. And, and by saying no, it's enabled me and the teams and the people that, that I get to impact to, to really 
focus on doing um, less things, but doing it so well that it has a much bigger impact than trying to do too much and not doing it as well. And, and in the process, it, it provides more, more of that balance where people are able to, ultimately, the whole life doesn't just revolve around work all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the pandemic, if anything, has taught me more so that life does not revolve around work. I can't, I'm not a machine anymore. Maybe I'm just getting older. Maybe the pandemic has incited the great resignation in everyone. But yeah, I think mental health and working is so hand in hand and so important. So I'm glad we chatted about that too. Okay, this brings me back to your writing style. So when you sit down to write, are things going through your mind that are different when you're writing blog content versus like book content? So what what I was saying in terms of writing style, in terms of book, um, it really depends on which audience you're writing for. And generally, I try to put myself in the shoes of who's going to be reading this. And I would say my writing style has been pretty consistent for the blog as well as the book in terms of I try to write things as simplistic as possible. So I don't try to use a lot of jargon and complexity to try and make points. I try to mm-hmm. sort of keep it as simple so that more people can really understand exactly what I'm trying to communicate. Because ultimately my goal isn't to keep this to a niche where only a few people are going to read my content. It's to try and keep it as broad as possible so I can impact uh, more people and more people can learn and grow and potentially adopt the the things that I'm writing about. So my so I would say my blog and my book content is pretty similar. And the benefit of what I found is using the blog content uh, as, as a way to test out content for the book, or at least when I was writing the book, worked out because the feedback I was able to get from that was a lot of the um, the feedback that kind of went into the, yeah. the final. Can we talk about more about your feedback loop of your writing? Because this is something that I think that you do really well and something that maybe you can help share with other writers in the Hacker Noon community or people who write in general. How do you get feedback on your writing from people? Yeah, a, l- a lot of times when I publish articles, for example, if I publish articles um, on Hacker Noon. After a couple of weeks, I would put that article on LinkedIn because I have a, a, a large number of followers on LinkedIn. And, and generally, when I put things on LinkedIn, I always have some kind of prompt, please let me know what you think in the comments. And, and generally, people have been pretty open. When you, At least for me, when I've asked for that feedback, I always get people writing comments. And I always love to read that, read the feedback on the comments and incorporate that. It, as well as the other thing that I try to do is I, I have a, a number of people that, that I trust in my network who I would send my content to as well and and, and, and at least have them sort of review and, 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 and give me some honest feedback. I'm always looking for feedback where people can just be as, as transparent and raw as possible. I'm not looking for feedback where, hey, this is great, good job kind of thing, because because that doesn't really help you get better at the end. You know, it's nice to know that what you're writing, but I always feel that there's always room for improvement. So mm-hmm. I always try to share my content internally to to a small network of folks to get feedback. And then externally, I always ask for feedback on social media. Yeah, I think that you are a master of LinkedIn. So what else do you post on LinkedIn other than things about your stories? Are you using like the polls features at all? Or what else is going on your LinkedIn feed? 
Yeah, I've tried to create this sort of cadence where I want to try to post uh, one or two times a day on LinkedIn. And, and this sort of started probably four years ago. And for me, it what it really came down to is I generally get up pretty early in, in the morning. I love to read early in the morning. So I'm always reading what's trending, what's new, uh, what's going on in the industry or, or different things that I'm really interested in, which is generally areas around leadership and startup management and just business trends in general. And so what I used to do is I used to re- read a lot and, and 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 then try to send an email to my team or folks in the company that, hey, this is something interesting, check this out, whatever. And I started getting a lot of like positive feedback in terms of, hey, thanks for sharing, this is great. Because ironically, a lot of people don't share internally either, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what came out of that was I thought, I wonder if people on LinkedIn might find this helpful too. And generally what I do is like, even if I read something that's a pretty long article, I sort of just try to summarize it into a paragraph or two. So I really kind of just put my spin or my point of view on on what I think is happening. And so I started doing that. um, As I mentioned, I usually post pretty early in the morning when I get up and I post late at night. And I, what I found, not that I was really looking at this as a signal, but I started finding people not only engaging on the post, but they were actually writing back to me that, hey, thanks for sharing. It's been so helpful. I've mm. been following this and my company did this. I shared this with my manager. And what I found is that people found that content valuable. So I've continued yeah. to do that. And in the process, I went from, I think when, when I started that, I probably had maybe about a thousand connections. Now it's getting close to about 34,000. Not that I'm looking at as a signal, but a lot of that has really just come from word of mouth where people have started Mm -hmm. sharing or resharing that content. And ultimately, you know, what the value is really that I'm helping people. And, And so in LinkedIn, I generally, I'm always reading a lot around all of those areas around startup, leadership, management, and business. And I generally either share articles that are right around that content, mm-hmm. or I'm happy to even share content that other people are writing around right. that. I try to put my own sort of a spin on it so that if people don't want to read the entire article, they'll at least yeah. get like a synopsis on, on Right, the right. Yeah. Okay. Wait, one to two times a day is a lot. I, it's ironic. It, it's like anything because I enjoy doing it that I don't really see that work as work and for me it's actually it's become more helpful because now I don't necessarily share as much internally I just tell people just just look at my LinkedIn you know yeah to my team and other folks and 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 you kind of get you know the things that um are that's kind of top of mind for me right okay yeah you have built this like very strong community of people who trust you as an industry expert in like startups and growth and management so that's great definitely and it helps with when you continue to build content and write and be able to share that on a platform. So I think that's something that you've done really well that I think a lot of the listeners and Hacker New contributors can take a page from your book <laughs> uh, on. <laughs> yeah, the other thing that I would say is for personally helps me too, because I feel the hardest part about anything is is taking something from your mind and communicating it. Mm-hmm. And people have different ways of communicating. And for me, writing has been that outlet where, where I can take these thoughts that, that are in my mind and, and put it into a place where it helps me to better understand what I'm 
what I'm thinking about. And, yeah. and, and in the process of putting it down, it helps me to go and edit and then be able to communicate that more effectively to other people. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Okay, Lomit, thank you for joining the podcast. I thought this was great. I had a great time chatting with you. Um, if we want to find you and what you're working on online, where can we look? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Amy. It's been great. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. So I've been a fan for a while. And now I, I get the pleasure of being on it. So thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. I would say the best way to get getting um, in, in contact with me, and I encourage anyone, if you have any questions around all of those topics that I write about, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to share anything that I know that could potentially help somebody else. But the best way to, to get in touch with me, my LinkedIn is very active. So if you go and connect with me on LinkedIn, pretty much my name, Lamit Patel, connect with anyone who reaches out to me on LinkedIn, as well as I have a blog, which is pretty much my name, Lamit patel.com that's another place you can reach out to me and um, beyond those two if anybody's interested in, in checking out the book it's still doing well on amazon it's actually amy i didn't i don't know if i mentioned this but now it's been translated into a number of different languages so it's in korean Ooh. as well as chinese as well so, so it's doing really well in asia it's picked up there as well but the book is available easiest place to check it out is on amazon if you search for lean AI, you'll be able to find it there. And and yes. and, and if anything, you know, th there's a website you can check out for the book and it's called theleanai.com. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that is a random. What a fun time. A little uh, number one best-selling author in Asia. <laughs> okay, cool. So don't forget that uh, Lomi is nominated for the Hacker Noon Contributor of the Year Award in the Lean Startup category, as well as the Motivation category. So you can go over to noonies.tech to vote. Don't forget to do that. Another thing that you can vote for if you have forgotten, which I'll just remind you, is startups. So the Startups of the Year campaign we are also running. So you can go to startups.hackernoon.com to vote for your favorite startup of the year. And yeah, you can find Hacker Noon online at Hacker Noon on all of the socials, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. You can visit HackerNoon.com to read all of your favorite tech news. And as always, stay weird and I'll see you on the internet. Bye. Hacker Noon Podcast.